0: first selling first salesperson in that startup and ever since then I've been um uh, either the founder recorded. or co-founder of a whole host of of companies in different products and markets I've had three uh three successful exits and 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 uh two valuable learning experiences along the way um But uh, partnered up and teamed up with the founder of Match.com, Will Bunker, and Andrew Goldner, who was a former publisher of Reuters and chief technology counsel of DoubleClick and Google, uh, to launch GrowthX, which is a $50 million seed stage fund investing in early stage companies that have already achieved some level of minimum viable product, have early customers and revenue and have a real opportunity for accelerated growth if they apply the right kinds of methodologies to get to product market fit and scale and i have an entire team of market development experts that do nothing but help the companies in which we invest in uh, actively on a daily basis get there faster in the more capital efficient way so we look at what we're doing is differentiated venture capital
1: awesome great great stuff so I, I hear you talk about, like, the renaissance rep and the sales learning curve, and I've learned a ton from it just from, from having conversations with you. So let's get right into it. First, let's start by telling us what is a sales learning curve and that, that startups need to go through.
0: Yes, um, because it takes longer uh, and costs more than typically expected, and I'm sure we've all heard this at some point or another, why does it always take twice as long and cost twice as much uh, to get to break even? Um, when you launch a new product. The reason is because you can't rush the science and you can't rush the learning curve and you can't just throw sales professionals or a team of people at selling something based on assumption. And the problem is is that we assume a lot. Uh, we hypothesize very little. And my outlook on that and philosophy generally is, is that we shouldn't assume anything except responsibility for our own action. We should rather hypothesize what might work. We take incomplete uh, products to market in software every day. Um, so, But if you look at how manufacturing works, uh, they don't do it that way. Why? Because it's a tangible physical widget. Um, if your phone uh, doesn't work, uh, you're not going to mass produce it. So if I have a light, for example, and I develop a light bulb and I plug that light bulb in and it doesn't work, I can't mass pro- mass produce it until it does. And then once I do get it to work, I need to know that I can produce 10,000 units at a certain cost uh, and get those units to market and sell them at a certain price before I would even invest the money to do that. Um, It's a very easy thing to measure. Typical cost accounting allows you to do that. But in software, we bias ourselves against that often. And what we typically do is take an incomplete, unwhole product to market uh, and we sell it as a whole and complete product. And we typically create forecasts and generate assumptions on what we are going to sell based on historical data maybe from the industry or past experiences um, or just basically a a swag, which is really an acronym for strategic wild-ass guess. And then when we don't meet those numbers, the first person blamed is the head of sales when the reality is, is that you haven't gone through this learning curve yet. And what I was describing about how manufacturing goes through that process, that's called the manufacturing learning curve. And in sales, we have a very similar learning curve. And it's not necessarily startup-specific. It's new product-specific. And that requires a whole series of things and hosts of tasks that you have to go through. Um, But it begins with the general philosophy and agreement that we don't know what we don't know yet until we're out there talking to the marketplace. Uh, And the objective of the sales learning curve is to operate in a very lean fashion to maximize your runway so you can get through the curve quickly and efficiently um without burning a bunch of cash. And so Definitely. what are those one of those things that um that, that the Renaissance rep does, that Renaissance rep is responsible for being the liaison between the market and the product team. And their job is to go out there and learn. And as a seed stage investor we talk about the seed stages for learning, right? It's not always for um for revenue and profitability. It's for learning to get to revenue and profitability. So as that renaissance rep, that person needs to be responsible for bringing product feedback back to the product team in a very focused and directed way, advocate for the market, make sure that everything that the market is asking for is something that is scalable and repeatable and possible, Um, be responsible for positioning, pricing, um, for selling, setting up distribution channels trying to find an investable CAC LTV ratio. So you know how much it costs you to acquire a customer, and you know what the lifetime value of that customer is. Recognizing that innovators, as a a psychology of a buyer, per the Jeffrey Moore's uh, Crossing the Chasm principles, uh, are wonderful for providing product feedback, but they're terrible at providing money. Uh, They typically don't have budget. So finding early adopters that do have a budget and are seeking a competitive advantage using a product like yours uh, and recognizing the difference in those buying communities. Um, and driving that entire process is really the, the, the general um, role of the renaissance rep within the sales learning curve. And how is a renaissance rep different than, say, a traditional rep? Well, Mark Leslie, who coined the term, would call a traditional rep a coin-operated rep. And that's not a derogatory term. It just means that it's somebody that's used to selling a mature product in a mature market with a lot of support, referenceable customers, historical data to assume forecasts and put quotas in place, etc. That doesn't work when you're taking a new product to market. None of those rules exist because the product hasn't achieved product market fit and it, has, it doesn't have that same level of historical data. Um, so typically, coin-operated reps, in startups because they're not used to the ambiguity of the situation. They're not used to going through that learning curve. And when an organization puts downward pressure from the investors through leadership and down to the frontline salespeople on them to close business, close, 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 you said you were going to do this much this quarter based on a spreadsheet and they don't achieve that, uh, they lose, the company loses, the investors lose, and you're still no further along the learning curve than you were before. In fact, you're probably not nearly as, long as, you, uh, as far along as you should be because you haven't taken the methodology and the approach of learning at this stage, which is here, I made this. What do you think of it? What can we do to improve it? How can it be, help you be more successful? And taking that attitude and approach into the sales conversations and into customer development as opposed to trying to close and sell in traditional ways, which worked very well. In, um, in again, mature products and mature markets, in traditional environments, and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with coin-operated reps. They just don't necessarily apply to new product strategies. What you're looking for are people that are stage relevant.
1: No, that's that's fantastic advice, and I think uh, I think that's where a lot of companies fail, where they've not got product market fit. You hire. Uh, you you hire for scale and you're not getting the results because these guys are just used to selling uh, something that has product market fit, right?
0: That's right, and it starts at the investor level. Look, I again five time founder, I get it. You've got to go to the, to an investor community, and you need to ask them for money, and you have to show them projections on how you're going to make money and when. And the problem with that, especially with investors that don't understand the sales learning curve methodology. And don't understand the concept of the Renaissance rep, um, They will hold you accountable for that, and so now you're already off on the wrong foot. And now that pressure is now applied to everybody in 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 in, uh, in the organization, and it makes it difficult. And you end up in this vicious cycle as opposed to a learning feedback cycle.
1: Definitely. So, so why do you think? Uh, you know, or rather. What is where do you find these Renaissance reps? Right, it's it's so hard because there's a lot of salespeople who have experienced five years, ten years, pounding the pavement, pounding the phones, and it's easier to find these guys. But it's it's really hard to find the person you're describing. How do you find? Yeah. Them?
0: It, it, well, first the first thing is again, awareness is half the battle. So you've got to know what you're looking for. Um, otherwise, you, you, <laughs> there's a really good chance you're not going to find it. Um, so understanding the attributes of a Renaissance rep. So we think about things in terms of there are there are three there are three functional categories when evaluating talent: knowledge, skills, and behaviors. Uh, what do people know? What can they do? And how do they behave about it? Um, and a Renaissance rep has five key attributes. Um, there's somebody that can communicate cross-functionally very well with the other people on their team: product, marketing, management development and the customer they can bring customers together across those various functional teams internally at the at the, at the customer side as well as internally on the company side they, they, the, this one is the most important one to me number three number three is embracing ambiguity and I don't mean tolerating ambiguity or accepting the fact that we don't know what we don't know yet I mean having a true passion for looking at a blank canvas and seeing the opportunity to fill that canvas in over time. The Definitely. fourth one, the fourth one is have a deep interest in the product technology. You don't have to be a coder to sell software. Hell, I can't even spell HTML. I I, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, what I do <laughs> care though about, and what I do have a huge passion for, is how technology solves business problems. Always have. And the number one attribute of any sales professional should be business acumen, Uh, but that aside. um, The fifth, so in other words, the fourth is have a deep interest in the product technology. Be a technologist. You don't have to be a developer or a coder, and you don't have to expect that. What you have to be able to do is have kind of a, you know, kind of geek out for the product and be interested in that product. And then the fifth one is... Um, they need to have one degree of separation from the entire team, and that means the product team. So functionally, one of the things that GrowthX tries to do, we have two major goals when we bring a company into our market acceleration program. The first one is to create a functional learning organization out of everybody on the team, which means there's no more than one degree of separation from anybody on that team. There are regular product, market, feedback loop sessions and meetings that go on, a way to track it and a way to measure it so that you're moving the product down the right path at the right time. Because the number one problem that we see why startups fail is the improper allocation of resources, the limited resources that they have. Most of these companies never have enough capital and don't know how to be capital efficient enough to get to product market fit because this stuff takes time. And you can't rush it by throwing a bunch of people at it. and that's the fifth yeah. attribute.
1: That's, uh, this is some fantastic advice. I think um you know is it's, it's a matter of embracing this concept and and conveying it to investors. I think I think with funding comes a lot of fear and a lot of pressure and then and then people are like, "Hey, we're not making sales. You're not quadrupling MRR. What's going on?" right? Uh, they don't embrace the concept of ambiguity that comes with an early stage uh, company.
0: So, let, Absolutely. You to- and when you're looking at your investor community and you're evaluating who your ideal investors are and you build your own ideal investor profile, much like building an ideal customer profile, you need to be looking at investors that recognize and acknowledge the sales learning curve methodology, the role of a renaissance rep in the organization, and the creation of this functional learning organization that's designed to find an investable, scalable CAC LTV ratio.
1: Definitely, definitely. Because if you don't, so, you're just so, setting yourself up for failure. Certainly. So when do you think is the right time to start uh start setting a quota and and measurable goals in place and, and building up that sales team then? Yeah, it's a good question. And by the way, oftentimes the
0: you know the founder plays the role of the renaissance rep. They just don't know what to call it and they don't know that it's a thing. Um, and then it's, so they can perform this role themselves or they can hire one, no more than two people uh, to fill this role. But <clears throat> when you start thinking about quotas and you start creating um, forecasts and driving assumptions um, is when the individual or individuals... That are responsible for this function in your organization achieve two consecutive quarters of where they have um, uh, they had two x the marginal contribution uh, the, the marginal contribution to the organization is two x their cost. So if their if their if their cost month over month their fully burdened cost to the organization is 10k, um, then they need to be generating 20k a month. And they need to be doing that for two consecutive quarters. Definitely, definitely. And I know it sounds like a long time, especially to people with shorter sales cycles. I get it. Or it might sound like an even longer time to people with longer sales cycles. I get it. But the reality is, is that um, <clears throat> you can't. Don't be seduced by FOMO, the fear of missing out, and don't, you know, don't buy into this first mover advantage crap, because none of it matters. What matters is it can you can you become a profitable entity and can you keep your customers and keep them happy and keep them growing and keep them referring? Because if you can, um, the tortoise beats the hare every time.
1: Go slow to go fast. Go slow to go fast. Definitely. So um, what's your recommended process then for, for early startups when, with this Renaissance rep, I'm, I'm, I hire this, say, say our founding team is all engineers, and or I guess two engineers, and there's no Renaissance rep, but I rope in this friend of mine I've known for a few years, and he's a perfect fit. What does day one look like? What is the process for this person? Well,
0: first, yes, first got to find the person, right? So um, number one is you create a job posting and or a search that talks about the attributes of that Renaissance role, and anybody can Google Renaissance rep and find some articles that either I've written or, um, or people that I've trained and educated have written on the subject. If they want more information on the role of the Renaissance rep or anything, they can, you know, they can email me, Sean at growthx.com. I'm happy to share a, a job description that's specific for that first sales role or hire. Um, you're looking for people that have maybe been a learned entrepreneur themselves. Uh, they have been the first sales hire or BD hire in a startup and they've gone through the entire learning curve and they know what it takes uh, and not just give you lip service, but they've actually lived it uh, because until you've lived it, you can't fully appreciate it. It's like Tim Robbins' character in Shawshank. it been 18 years in captivity, and then you have to wade through 400 yards of feces just to get out only end up on a beach, sand in a boat with an old guy. It's not easy. Um, <laughs> it's a hard thing. So how do they find them? First, they have to create that job description. Second, they have to search for people with that kind of resume and background. Third, when they talk to them, they need to ask three simple questions of themselves. Um, Does this person have the knowledge, skills, and behaviors of a Renaissance rep? Um, Do they understand the concept? Have they studied it? Have they researched it? Uh, And do we together go down this path? And then, so, A, do they have the ability to do it? D, do they have the willingness and and the third one the most important one is can we work together culturally can we work with this person and product focused founders need to recognize the importance of the right kind of market focused renaissance rep uh, and give them the latitude uh, to do their work and support them in that work
1: so what is what is the night the right kind of market focus in your opinion
0: I'm sorry could you repeat that?
1: No you you said the the right kind of market focus, right? So what what would be that right kind of market oh, focus? Oh, okay. That well, that's
0: again, that's an attitude. That's an attribute. That's somebody who says the market tells us what we're building, right? We've taken something to market, we have a vision, we do believe in it, we love it. Typically product-focused founders love their stuff, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. that doesn't mean everybody else does. And so they have to they have to to embrace feedback. They have to view feedback as a gift. Um, it's, not cri- it's not criticism. It's not negative. It's positive. Um, they, have to, they have to develop a hypothesis, take it to the market, get the market to speak to them, and use that information in the, in, in, within context to help prioritize their own product roadmap and what they develop and how and for whom. And everything that they do should be designed to get the market to talk to them, not to go out and tell the market about your product. Product demos suck because they're about people's products. Nobody wants to hear about your product. They want to hear about what it does for them. Don't tell me what you do. Tell me what you do for me. And once you get their attention, it's designed simply to get them to speak back to you. Everything you do to the market should be designed to do one thing only, and that is generate a response. Because without that information, you can't learn. And if you can't
1: learn, you won't get there. Certainly. So last question here, and uh, we'll take one or two audience questions if there are any, but my final question is what are some goals and metrics that should be top of mind for this Renaissance rep? Yes, uh, activity
0: uh, based on whatever goals you set out, right? So they shouldn't, again, they shouldn't necessarily be revenue generated. They should be activity generated, so net number of new customers, net number of new pilots, that number of new betas, that number of conversions at the bottom of the funnel of these opportunities. Then there's a certain number of opportunities that they can manage, and they have to be opportunities that are the right opportunities. Not all revenue and opportunities are created equal. They have to be the ones that help you get your product through the learning curve the fastest, right, which customers are going to give me the the highest likelihood of winning uh, with the highest potential of getting that feedback, on the product as fast and cheaply as possible. So, for example, so going to the top of the funnel, you've got to have those ideal customer profiles um, assessed, developed, and settled upon to go to market with. So those are the kinds of metrics that you look at. And then you look at all the other things that go into it. So are the, are we moving down the path with simplifying pricing? Are we selling to people the way they're used to buying? Um, are we reducing sales cycles? So a lot of the metrics are operational in nature because those indicators will tell you if you're going through the learning curve correctly or not and efficiently.
1: Definitely. No, it's been, it's been great, Sean. Really appreciate it. Um, I've learned a lot. How can people get in touch with you if they want to pitch you or hire you or just take you to lunch or dinner for advice? How can people get a hold of you?
0: Well, I appreciate. It. Nobody can hire me because I'm I, I'm I'm incorrigible and not hireable. Um, I'd fire myself if I actually had a real job. Uh, but they can. They <laughs> we do invest in companies that fit our critique, and they're happy to meet. Reach me at Sean at GrowthX.com. Uh, They can go to growthx.com and learn more about who we are, what we do, to try and help companies grow.
1: Awesome. Great pleasure, Sean, as always. Uh, Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Lloyd.
0: Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.